Welcome to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm D.T. Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Agersfar Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at dtkane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 32. Are you all right? Emma asked. They left the conservatory behind and were now just walking aimlessly about the reading district. Baz didn't know how to answer. The answer was no, he wasn't all right. Yet, at the same time, he felt something deep in his chest, a sensation unlike any he'd experienced before. He'd never heard that story. Aside from Liana, Baz had always done his best to stay away from conservators, and what the blind man had said was almost certainly just fanatical nonsense. But still, Baz saw why they told the tale. Devonstair had been through so much, the worst kind of hell. Yet, he'd done something great in the end, and the thought of that stirred a sort of optimistic anticipation deep within Baz. It made him anxious, but not anxious afraid, more like a child waiting for a parent to come home with a present. It seemed impossible that he could experience such a feeling. He had certainly never been that child. Before hearing that story, if he'd been asked to imagine how such a little boy or girl might feel, the closest he probably could have come to relating was the pang of hunger he felt before receiving his evening meal. Yet, he felt with certainty what he was feeling now was what such a child would feel, a word for which he'd never found a use in his vocabulary. Hope. Fine, I'm fine, Bess said in a distant tone. When Emma didn't respond, he glanced at her, noticing her perplexed stare. That's when he realized he must look like a drunk, freshly tossed from the tavern, bumbling about glassy-eyed. He shook his head focusing his eyes on her. Where are we going, anyway? We've seen the reading district. Isn't it time we head back and actually prepare for this madness we're undertaking tonight? No, Emma shook her head. We haven't seen the best part yet. Come on. With a smile that made Baz uneasy, she grasped his hand and led him to the far side of the cul-de-sac from where they'd entered. Baz hadn't noticed before, but there was another avenue on this side, leading down a small hill. They took it, the cool shade of the buildings to either side, a welcome relief after the heat of standing shoulder to shoulder in that crowd. A gentle breeze full of brine and fish whispered over them both, causing Baz to shiver as it cooled the perspiration on his arms. As the road leveled, the buildings ended, and once more they came out into the sun. Off to their left, it glared off what Baz initially thought were thousands of shattered mirrors spread out over a vast plain. But then he realized it wasn't mirrors at all that reflected the sunlight. It was water. The ocean vast, he whispered, stopping dead. 
He remembered bits and pieces of the stories his father had told him of it, but his imagination had never conjured an image as astounding as what lay before him now. His hand was still clasped in Emma's, and she was forced to stop alongside him. In a way, it was like looking into a mirror, an embodiment of infinity, water stretching on and on past the horizon. More ships than Baz had ever imagined could be in one place at once floated in it, both in the harbor and farther out toward the horizon. The smallest ones seemed large as mansions, though they were dwarfed by several the size of floating fortresses. Baz couldn't fathom how they stayed afloat. So much wonder in the world, murmured Emma beside him but the readers keep as much of it as they can for only themselves. That's what my father instilled in me, Baz, a deep disdain for such self-centered oppression. Only your father? Baz asked. She hadn't mentioned him since revealing what had happened to him. My mother, too, I suppose, Emma said, a voice hardening. But she never had as much interest in me as father did. It was all about the equities and transcendence for her, our family's generations-old struggle to undo the damage caused by the burning was always her top priority. To Baz, to have a parent who'd shown any interest in him at all would have been a scribe's blessing, but the sadness in Emma's tone kept him from offering her any sarcasm. Don't get me wrong, she went on, father cared plenty about the equities too, but he wanted more than a life of books and research. That's ultimately why he went out there onto the peninsula. He thought if he could just find a few answers hidden out there in the darkness, then... Emma cleared her throat and didn't speak for a long while, just gazing out over the water and tightening her grip on Baz's hand. Finally, she said, well, I suppose he figured that if he'd found his answers, then he'd have been able to start what we're starting now. It's been terrible since he disappeared, but he'd be so proud now, seeing what we're about to do. We can't let him down, Baz. I won't let us. Baz suppressed a shudder at the cold certainty in her words. He released her hand and turned away from the water, the grand sight not seeming to fit the darkness Emma's words had instilled in him. In some ways, she was a lot like him. She'd lost a large part of her family years ago, and while she'd kept another, Tessa wasn't all there for her, just like Tex couldn't be all there for Baz. They were both so lonely despite being surrounded by people. That's what fueled the intensity of the fire that burned between them. It fed on their shared hunger for a genuine connection. So maybe Baz was just a complete fool, clueless about the ways of women and love. He and Emma almost seemed meant for one another, didn't they? But despite how it seemed, and he had to admit, felt, as if they needed one another, he couldn't permit himself to fully connect with her. Emma hid it well, but she held deep in her soul a zealotry profound as any that Liana held for the conservatory. She might care about the uprising even more than Maeve. She would die for this rebellion, and let others die too if she thought it would help the cause. Baz knew the readers were wrong, 
exercising power built on a lie that had become so pervasive, now even they believed it, like a sickness that had infected all of society. Knowing that was one thing, but dedicating mind, body, and soul to the cause was another thing entirely. And if Emma knew his doubts... That's where we're going tonight, Emma said, interrupting his silent mulling. Baz looked to where she was indicating. He had to blink several times before finally comprehending. So intent he'd been on the ocean that he'd completely missed the gargantuan landmark right in front of him. A wall high as that which surrounded erstwhile loomed over them, casting a shadow onto the small square upon which they stood. The road they'd descended to reach this point branched off in two directions, one leading down to the water, the other up to a portcullis closing off whatever lay within the enormous barrier from the rest of the city. The wall's battlements were topped with iron spikes that curved like scorpions' tails at their peaks. Baz could see little of what lay beyond the walls, but the trio of spires that jutted from deep within them couldn't be missed. The same three spires Baz had seen upon entering Fortune the day prior, thin spindles peaked by bulbous spheres. Each shone in the sun's glare like arthritic fingers dipped in liquid gold. If you expected this to make me feel any better, it hasn't, Baz said, putting a hand over his eyes so he could stare up at the spires through the glare. I didn't intend for it to ease your fears, if that's what you mean. I'm not. Baz trailed off. Voicing such an obvious lie would be pointless, particularly around a woman. They all seemed to have a sixth sense for such things. So instead he asked, Why then? I just needed to see it for myself, Emma said, joining Baz and gazing up at the trio of towers. See where the man who orchestrates all this country's terrible policies spends his days. Just look at it, Baz. He's in a whole other world in there. Meanwhile, the choices he makes ruin the lives of countless thousands outside his gold-plated walls. If it wasn't so vile, it might actually be impressive, Duke First and Liamina rising to such power in so short a time. How long's it been? Baz asked. He didn't really care, but he also didn't want to dwell on the subject of Emma's commitment to the rebellion. She shrugged. Hard to say exactly. Four, maybe five years? Huh. What? Emma asked. Nothing. Just that Duke Octavenal seemed quite familiar with Farston. Familiar enough to loathe him. Emma snorted. I've never met your Duke Octavenal, but from what I hear, he's an old, broken man who has driven a once powerful library to ruin. I'm sure he was just trying to curry a bit of favor by acting familiar with the man. Baz couldn't dispute any of that. Seemed a pretty apt description of Deliritus's father, actually. It was the assassinations, Emma continued. Oh, there's no proof of that, of course, but Farston was such an obscure member of Liamina that few had ever even heard of him until about five years ago. Even my mother had been unfamiliar with him, and she has eyes and ears under practically every rug and tucked away in every broom closet in the nation. It all started with Duke Lucine's unexpected illness and passing. The sickness, at least that's what it was thought to be at the time, 
quickly spread to the rest of his household. All said, thirteen Leomina readers, most of them in their primes, died, handing Farston the dukeship. A year later, he was elected chair of the Triumvirate Congress, and now here we are. You know, Bass said, he doesn't sound like a man to be trifled with lightly, and he certainly didn't seem like one when I met him. We're not acting lightly, Baz. Besides, he won't be back for days, still. The Iron Dragon bought us at least a week of time, even if he gallops the whole way. We'll be in and out of Liamina Library long before he's even within sight of Fortune's Walls. Baz grunted noncommittally. He knew what Emma said was all true. Still, a familiar gnawing had begun in the pit of his stomach. He'd felt it when rocks had fallen into that hole that proved to be a worm's lair, and when that fire-breather controlled by Hellar Xavier had roared its terrible cry, and right before he'd resolved to lead Marla Colnar out onto that peninsula beneath Tome, and when Farston had stepped out of the smoke during their duel on the shores of the shallows. Emma began to walk closer to Liamina Library. Baz rushed after her. "'What are you doing?' he hissed as if he needed to be quiet, lest the library's walls overhear. I just need to see something, she said, more to herself than in response to Baz, it seemed. About halfway between the fork in the road and where it stopped at the massive portcullis separating Liamina Library from the rest of the city, there stood a statue of a man, oriented so that its front faced the library. Emma walked up to its base, then around, gazing upward. Baz had little choice but to follow. When he reached the sculpture's front, he scoffed. The statue was of Duke Farston himself, and unlike nearly every sculpture Baz had ever seen, this one was actually in full color, coated in some sort of enamel. The depiction of the terrible man was arrayed in an outfit of blues and whites, the library's colors. What appeared to be real feathers stuck from the statue's hat though where anyone had found feathers so large, Baz hadn't the faintest idea. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised, Baz said. Farston obviously thinks quite highly of himself, and with it oriented this way, he can always be looking at himself from his tall towers. He glanced to Emma, expecting her to enthusiastically agree, but her expression was far from one of disgusted amusement. She looked almost... disturbed? Come on she whispered. There is nothing else to see. We ought to be getting back. I want to be ready to head out as soon as Maeve returns. What's wrong? he asked. Emma just shook her head and started off back the way they'd come. Baz considered pressing the issue, but saw little point. Whatever Emma had seen, the set of her shoulders and pace of her strides made it clear she'd no desire to address it. They walked back up the rise they'd descended, and back through the reading district. As they passed the grisly display above the gates of Galfet Library once again, Baz was surprised to notice a live man standing amongst the severed heads. He must have been a reader, his colorful robes cut too finely for any other class of person, though he wasn't wearing a hat. Still, he was staring up at the bloated faces with a look of regret shaking his head as if having some personal disagreement with himself. Despite the odd sight, Baz would have just walked on by. 
Stopping to gawk at a reader was a terrible idea under normal circumstances, and it was certainly ill-advised when you were planning a heist upon the largest library in the city. But Emma stopped as if the Dark Ones themselves had whispered in her ear, shielding her eyes to look up at the man. What are you doing? Baz looked around for a place to hide. Of course, they were right out in the open. The man was sure to notice two peasants just standing there. And he did just that. Slowly, his gaze shifted from the barbaric exhibition to the pair of them. He cocked his head to one side, knuckling a bit of dark stubble around his jawline. He wore the oddest assortment of jewelry Baz had ever seen, a ring on each of his fingers connected by fine, gleaming chains. A twitch at the edge of his mouth might have been one of amusement, but before Baz could decide what it meant, the man turned and disappeared from view. He must have just walked down a set of stairs, but he'd vanished so quickly. Baz rubbed at his eyes to make sure, but the man was truly gone. "'What were you thinking?' Baz said through his teeth, taking Emma by the arm and dragging her away from the Galfet gates. We're about to rob Liamina Library, and you stop like a pig in the cow pasture to stare at a reader? I thought... Emma started. She seemed genuinely startled for the second time in a matter of minutes. No, you're right, that was foolish. Baz had his mouth open, fully prepared to argue. It remained open, but no words came out. Had she just said he was right? Let's get back to Maeve's, Emma said, increasing her pace. Baz followed after her, though he couldn't stop himself from glancing over his shoulder to where the man in the fine robe had stood. All that was atop the gate now was the trio of decaying faces. But despite knowing the madness of the thought, Baz's curiosity was still shining like a bright light in his mind. Who was that man, and why had he looked at them with such curiosity? Hello, DT crew. Welcome back to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is February 12th, 2023, as I record this, which is episode number 28 of season 2 of the podcast and episode number 55 overall. Hope you enjoyed chapter 32 of Declaimer's <coughs> Discovery there, bit of an in-between chapter there, some conversation between Emma and Baz. We finally saw the ocean vast. We've seen it referenced a lot in the first two books, but Baz finally laid eyes on it, and then we got a uh, bit of a first look at Liamina Library. And uh, next, week, next week, we'll be reading chapter 33, uh, where the break-in will actually occur. So, uh, you know, the the plans of the uh, the warriors of Fortune City have been leading up to this point, so we'll be entering Liamina Library next week, so stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, let's see, in other news, uh, like I said, uh, I've posted on Facebook and Twitter a few times, my, uh, my dog has unfortunately been sick this week, so that's been taking up a lot of my time been uh, shuttling him back and forth to uh, the first the vet and then the the pet hospital, which on both of those are fortunate, unfortunately more than an hour away from my house. <laughs> so that's been taking 
taking a while. He is back home and uh, doing a little better now. He wasn't eating at all. He is now eating, but uh, he's having a lot of trouble walking still. The, the doctors think he has vestibular disease, which basically means his inner ears aren't working properly. So he's dizzy and upset stomach, which kind of explains his walking and eating problems. Um, and that can be treated with medicine, and apparently it's pretty common in older dogs. So it's kind of an optimistic diagnosis, but at the same time, he is he is old. He's uh, 11 and a half, you know, and he's got arthritis in his legs too. So it's a lot for him to deal with, being dizzy and his legs hurting. So kind of just nursing him right now, taking it one day at a time. But uh, I appreciate everyone's uh, kind kind words and wishing him a speedy recovery. So thank you for that. Hopefully I'll be back to uh, having a newsletter out next week, um, but stay tuned for that. I do have a work trip for a couple of days at the beginning of next week, so I don't know. My schedule is going to be a little bit touch and go here uh, again. So so we'll see, but I appreciate all of your, your patience and uh, and sticking around. And again, thanks for, for all the well wishes. <clears throat> uh, just a couple other items here. Uh, again, just a reminder, the pre-order for Into the Dragon's Maw, which is part five of the Spoken Books Uprising, is now uh, out and available uh, at most places. You buy ebooks, so consider getting your your pre-order in, so uh, we have a strong uh, launch day. The book comes out on March 10th, 2023. And, uh, you know, despite everything I've had going on this week, I have begun drafting part six of the Spoken Books Uprising, which uh, for now I'm tentatively calling Fire and Ink. Um, I think I'm I'm a decent way in. I'm like 12,000 words in or something, though some of that uh, includes the outline, which I have typed into my Word document. I actually make headings for all of my chapters with little descriptions under them. That way uh, I never really get to a, a blank page. When I get to one chapter and scroll to the next page, there's some ideas jotted down that kind of helps me keep motoring along with the drafting process. Um, so there will be more news about Part 6 in the weeks and months to come. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And I guess that's all for this week. Uh, unfortunately, I do not have a quote or an essay this week. Hopefully we'll be back to that uh, again next week. Uh, so like I said, uh, next, week, next week's reading assignment will be Chapter 33 of The Claimer's Discovery. So I look forward to sharing that with all of you then. And until next time... This has been D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to D.T. Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtkane.com slash podcast. D.T. Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com slash books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com slash email dash sign up. If you'd like to connect, 
You can find DT Kane on Facebook at DT Kane Author or Twitter at DT Kane Author. Or send DT Kane an email at DT Kane at DT Kane.com. See you next week.